I suspect that most of the people in this audience already feel acquainted with President and Sister Lee. For that reason, they hardly need an introduction, and yet that very fact about them tells you something. Since so many of us would feel that way toward them, feeling we know them well, that we could introduce them, probably not just because you've read their biographical sketches, but from the first time you heard them talk or had a chance to shake hands with them, you probably sensed an immediate kind of personal rapport and openness that left you feeling that Rex and Janet Lee are your friends. Well, they are your friends. That is just the way the Lees are. As a wintertime ad for a heating company once described what it could do for a cold home, the Lees simply make us all feel warm and comfortable. I'm glad that Sister Janet Lee is talking today. She and President Lee make a classy team, both professionally and personally. They've had long experience with and a great love for BYU and its students. While President Lee was chairing that NCAA committee, Sister Lee was working on a committee assignment of her own in our interest in this community as a member of the BYU Honor Code Advisory Council, where her thoughtful views about the needs of BYU students continue to play a significant role. Sister Janet Lee. Thank you, Bruce. It warms my heart to see all of you here this cold January morning. I wish instead we were sitting around a nice warm fire in a less formal setting. When my daughter Stephanie was five years old, I took her to register for kindergarten. When we arrived, she was invited into a classroom to play games with the teachers and the other children. As a former elementary school teacher, I was certain that the games were a method for placement purposes. A teacher was sitting outside the classroom with a box of crayons and several sheets of blank paper and I smiled confidently to myself from across the hall as Stephanie was asked to choose her favorite color and write her name. She could write all the names in our family, I thought to myself. She's so well prepared. There isn't anything in that room she can't handle. But Stephanie just stood there. <clears throat> the teacher repeated the instructions, and again my daughter stood still staring blankly at the box of crayons with her knees locked and hands behind her back. In the sweet, patient voice that teachers use when they are beginning to feel slightly impatient, the teacher asked once more, Stephanie, choose your favorite color, dear, and write your name on this piece of paper. I was about to come to my daughter's aid when the teacher kindly said, that's okay. When you come to school in the fall, we'll help you learn to write your name. With all the restraint I could gather, I watched Stephanie move into the classroom with a teacher who believed my daughter didn't know how to write her name. On the way home, I tried to ask as nonchalantly as possible why she had not written her name. I couldn't, she replied. The teacher said to choose my favorite color, and there wasn't a pink crayon in the box. 
I've reflected on this incident many times over the years as I watch my children grow and observe life in general. How many times are we, as Heavenly Father's children, immobilized because the choice we had in mind for ourselves just isn't available to us, at least not at the time we want it? Is progress halted when acceptance into a chosen major is denied? When enrollment in a required class is closed? When a desired job just doesn't come through? When that dream date doesn't progress beyond friendship? Or when the money hoped for isn't there? Are we ever, for reasons that are hard to understand or beyond our control, faced with a set of circumstances that we did not have in mind for ourselves. In other words, what happens when we look in the box and the pink crayon just isn't there? It is so easy to lock our knees, put our hands behind our back, and do nothing when things wished for and dreamed about are beyond our reach. But to do so would defy the very reason we are placed here on this earth. As hard as it sometimes is to understand, stumbling blocks are essential to our progression. Remember what the Lord said, If thou art called to pass through some tribulation, know that all these things shall give thee experience, and shall be for thy good. I've often wondered how Joseph Old must have felt as his brothers sold him into Egypt. Did he think that the good life was all over for him? That he would never again experience joy? What about Abraham and Isaac? Did they wonder why this horrible sacrificial commandment had fallen to them? How did Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Hannah feel? as they bore the stigma of being barren, when in those days it was interpreted as a sign of God's displeasure? How did Lehi and Sariah feel as they fled from their home and friends in Jerusalem to live in the wilderness? And in this dispensation, would Hiram and Joseph ever have chosen the difficulties they faced? In each of these cases, as we observe the lives of men and women in Scripture, it is easy to see how people can triumph over adversity. But in our own everyday lives, it is often difficult to see beyond our own frustrations, to remain focused, to see the end from the beginning. As Elder, G, as Elder Richard G. Scott wisely instructed us in his conference talk this past October, the path you are to walk through life may be very different from others. You may not always know why Heavenly Father does what He does, but you can know that He is perfectly just and perfectly merciful. Trust Him even when, in eternal perspective, it temporarily hurts very much. Have patience when you are asked to wait, when you want immediate action. When my son Tan was 12, 
his dream was to be a professional basketball player. Even though he practiced into the night, he was worried that he wasn't the very best on the team and even more worried that he was too short. I remember one night when he asked me, what will happen to me if I don't reach my goal? We talked a long time about choices and individual differences, about challenges and how to know when to persevere and when to change direction. Tom made the high school team, but when it became apparent that there were other things he could do better, he changed direction. The crayon he would have chosen as a teenager just wasn't there for him. He had to color his life with other choices. At 12, he thought his life would be worthless if he couldn't play pro ball. At 27, he feels successful in what he is doing and is happy in his profession. Life is like that. And what we might want at 12 or 20 or 42 or even 72 might have to be adapted to the opportunities and the options that are available to us at the time. A few years ago, my sister and I were walking along the beach when we began a very serious talk about life, its challenges, and our growing ability to handle whatever came to us. I think I have lived long enough now that I could handle any challenge given me, I naively stated. I think I could too, was my sister's quick reply. Then the question that I will remember forever came from her. Janet, what would be your most difficult challenge? I didn't even need to think. I already knew. The hardest thing for me, I began, would be the, the death of my husband. I can't imagine life without Rex. That would be hard, she answered. But I think divorce would be even more difficult for me. The preposterousness of our fears was interesting. Rex was running marathons and the picture of health. My sister's marriage seemed very much intact, and so of course we laughed at suggestions that couldn't possibly become realities. Just eight months later, Rex lay near death in a hospital, and my sister's divorce proceedings had begun. Remembering that day and the year that followed will always bring back bittersweet memories for me. My sister and I certainly would not have chosen those colors from our box of choices, but we had to pull our lives together from the colors that were there. Today she is happy in a new marriage to a wonderful man, and my life with Rex is rich and full. My choice would not have been to experience what was given me to do, yet as a result, each day is filled with deeper meaning, greater understanding, and new insights. If I could trade it all back now and take the challenges away, I would do so in a minute. 
I don't like the fact that my husband has cancer. It is definitely a deviation from the life I had in mind for us. But if I could turn back the clock, would I also have to trade in what I have learned? I wouldn't want to give that part back. Always having our first choice might mean giving up unknown benefits. As Emerson said, for everything you have missed, you have gained something else. Let me share with you part of a letter someone wrote after hearing the story of Stephanie and her crayons. I don't have all the colors of crayons that I want, but I do have all the colors that I need. When I need new or different colors in my life, Heavenly Father will make sure I have them. I know that He will never give me a challenge beyond my reach or beyond the tools He has given me to work with. I also know that the challenges and trials I have are in reality blessings, and I will be better and stronger for having gone through them. I bear my testimony that God lives, that He hears and answers our prayers, that He will help us through life's challenges because He loves us and He wants us to return to Him. It is my prayer that we will color our lives in a beautiful way with whatever colors are available to us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.